Welcome to the USMLE Step 2 Success Podcast. I'm Dr. Rajani Kata, and together with my partner, Dr. Samir Desai, we share clinical cases with targeted teaching points to serve as a QBank podcast. Dr. Desai is the author of the Clinician's Guide to Laboratory Medicine. With over 200,000 copies sold and listed as one of the top medical books of all time by Medical Media Review, this guide to lab test ordering and interpretation is used in programs around the country. For more information, please see us at our website, thesuccessfulmatch.com. Note that this podcast is not affiliated in any way with the National Board of Medical Examiners, and cases and teaching points are not meant to serve as an official study guide or medical guidance. As you're getting ready to see your next patient in the clinic, you note that it is Mrs. Lyon. She's a 60-year-old woman with a history of osteoporosis. Three months ago, you diagnosed her with essential hypertension, and she went home and made several lifestyle modifications, including changes in diet and exercise. But despite these changes, your nurse notes that her blood pressure today is elevated at 150 over 110, and she's reported the same from home blood pressure measurements. What would be your antihypertensive medication of choice here? Would it be propranolol or lisinopril or hydrochlorothiazide or clonidine? Well, in this case, since the only other medical diagnosis was osteoporosis, that's going to help guide your choice of therapy. The ideal medication here would be hydrochlorothiazide. The treatment of hypertension in the real world can be very challenging. And while some patients will respond to just one medication, some people might require a combination of two different medications or even more to achieve control of their blood pressure. In terms of the board exam, though, we're going to target our teaching points here. It's going to be important to learn the major categories of antihypertensive agents, as well as their mechanisms of action. It's also going to be important to learn the names of agents within each category, and especially to learn the indications for each one. In order to try to help you learn the different categories, the different agents, and the different indications, I'm going to run over eight different scenarios. So let's start with this first scenario. In this case, knowing that the patient had osteoporosis, the best choice here would be a thiazide diuretic. So it would be hydrochlorothiazide. According to the JNC7 recommendations, thiazide diuretics are great initial choice for antihypertensive therapy if there are no compelling indications for other therapies. It's important to learn the JNC7 recommendations, and what that stands for is the seventh report of the Joint National Committee on Prevention, Detection, Evaluation, and Treatment of High Blood Pressure. We're going to come back to their recommendations in the following scenarios. In this particular case, it's important to learn the mechanism of action behind the major antihypertensives and certainly behind the thiazide diuretics. How do thiazide diuretics actually make you diurese? 
Well, they increase sodium excretion in the urine, which increases fluid loss in the urine. And that helps the treatment of hypertension because it decreases plasma volume. One thing to really remember here is at the same time that they increase sodium excretion, they do the opposite for calcium. They increase renal tubular reabsorption of calcium, which may increase serum calcium. And I'm going to note as an aside here that this is also helpful when you're thinking about treatment for certain kinds of kidney stones. So if it's the kind of kidney stone that is due to excess calcium in the urine, hydrochlorothiazide would help increase tubular reabsorption of calcium. So. These agents may increase serum calcium, and in a meta-analysis, they looked at a bunch of studies to determine if they would be helpful in terms of increasing bone mineral density. According to the study, there were no significant differences in bone mineral density um, on patients on thiazide diuretics versus other agents, but the review ultimately concluded that thiazide diuretics may play a role in preventing or treating osteoporosis. So it would be the best option here. As we continue on to the other scenarios, you do wanna think back to the pathogenesis of hypertension. And it's a very complex disease, multifactorial. And it's really interesting to me to see how the treatment of hypertension has really evolved over the last 20 to 30 years. And these different treatments are targeting different aspects of hypertension, sort of different treatment strategies. So in some cases, you might see agents that work to decrease cardiac output. In others, you might work to decrease blood plasma volume. In others, you might work on adrenergic tone that affects smooth muscle in blood vessel walls. So you might try to dilate your blood vessels. So there are a lot of different potential points in this system that you could try to attack with your hypertension treatments. In scenario two, you're seeing a patient that you've known for a long time, Mr. Smith, and he has a history of diabetes, which is well controlled with medications. He has now developed hypertension that is not responding to lifestyle modification. What would be the best initial medication here? Would it be hydrochlorothiazide? Would it be lisinopril? Would it be carvedilol? Or would it be nifedipine? Of the options listed here, the best choice would be an ACE inhibitor. And that means that the best choice would be lisinopril. So when you're thinking about the category of ACE inhibitors, I think about them as the prills lisinopril, captopril, and so on. These are angiotensin converting enzyme inhibitors. And when you think about one of the other ways that you could treat hypertension, you can think about angiotensin II as one of the villains in hypertension. So if you think about the renin angiotensin aldosterone system, your kidneys release renin, renin forms angiotensin I, and your angiotensin converting enzyme converts it to angiotensin II. Angiotensin II is the actual villain because that's the one that contracts the muscles surrounding the blood vessels, so narrows your pipes, and it increases sodium retention. So one of the ways to go after this system is try to decrease 
the action of angiotensin II. And one of the ways you can do that is with an angiotensin converting enzyme inhibitor. This group has been shown to slow the progression of kidney disease and has been shown to be beneficial in diabetes. Scenario three is a closely related scenario. And in this case, your patient is a 60-year-old male and he has proteinuria. What would be your best treatment option here? Would it be carvedilol? Would it be clonidine? Would it be nifedipine? Or would it be valsartan? In this scenario, the key is the proteinuria. And of the options I presented, the best treatment choice would be valsartan. And that's because it's a category called ACE receptor blockers. Remember how I was just talking about angiotensin II being the villain? Well, ACE receptor blockers block receptors for angiotensin II. So therefore, they have the effect of relaxing muscles surrounding the blood vessels. I'm gonna combine now the ACE inhibitors and the ACE receptor blockers to, um, let's talk about them together. So I think about them as neighbors that are both fighting angiotensin II. And the ACE inhibitors are the prills, and the ACE receptor blockers are the ARTANs. So two houses sitting right next to each other. One has the prill family, and the other has the ARTAN family. Both families decrease intraglomerular pressure, which makes them beneficial when you're thinking about kidney disease, early kidney disease. They also have effects of improving proteinuria independent of their antihypertensive effects. That's why if you have a patient with diabetes or a patient with proteinuria, either the Prill family or the Artan family would be a good choice. In the next scenario, we have a 35-year-old man who is presenting with essential hypertension. He's never had prior treatment, and this is a new diagnosis. What is the best initial treatment? Would it be lisinopril? Would it be carvedilol? Would it be nifedipine or a lifestyle modification? In this case, the best initial treatment would be lifestyle modification. So let's back up for a moment and talk about hypertension. Hypertension is the most common primary diagnosis in the United States. And in order to make that diagnosis, the criteria is a systolic pressure over 140 and a diastolic pressure over 90. Primary hypertension is also known as essential hypertension. It represents 90 to 95% of adult cases. The reason it's called primary hypertension is because it's not secondary to any known causes. In general, it's a multifactorial condition that's due to a combination of genetic and environmental factors. And the best initial treatment is going to be lifestyle modification. And by lifestyle modification, that means dietary changes, exercise, decrease in alcohol use, no smoking. And when we're talking about dietary changes for patients who are overweight, that means weight loss. And it also means recommendations that would be similar to the DASH diet, dietary approaches to stop hypertension. And essentially what the DASH diet boils down to is more fruits and vegetables, which translates to more intake of potassium, calcium, magnesium, 
along with less sodium. So in any case of hypertension, the first treatment would be lifestyle modification. Unless, of course, you're dealing with hypertensive crisis or something along those lines. That's why in the first scenario I presented, I made a point of saying that the patient had not responded following three months of lifestyle modification. Because your first initial treatment is going to be that three to six months of lifestyle modification. In the next scenario, let's say you have the same patient. You had sent him home to try lifestyle modification, and he had tried with changing his diet and increasing his exercise. And unfortunately, he's back four months later, and his hypertension has not improved. What would be the best initial medication? Would it be hydrochlorothiazide or hydralazine or carvedilol or clonidine? In order to answer this question correctly, you have to go back to the JNC7 recommendations. And those recommendations state that thiazide diuretics are a great initial choice if there's no compelling indication for other therapies. So in this case, hydrochlorothiazide would be a great option. Other great initial options would be your ACE inhibitors or your angiotensin receptor blockers or calcium channel blockers. So you could go with your thiazides or your Pril family or your Artan family or your calcium channel blockers. Now in the next scenario, you have a 30-year-old patient with a history of hyperthyroidism. She has tachycardia, she has palpitations, and she's also developed hypertension. What would be the best initial therapy for this patient? Would it be lisinopril or valsartan or carvedilol or nifedipine? In this situation, the best option would be a beta blocker. Beta blockers have been around since the 1960s when they were used to help in the treatment of angina. In fact, the inventor of beta blockers was awarded the Nobel Prize for his discovery. When I think about when you might use a beta blocker, I think about one of my classmates in medical school, and we're gonna call her Edna. That's not her real name, of course, because I'm not quite that old, but um, Edna had an intense fear of public speaking. And so before she had to give a presentation, her physician prescribed her a beta blocker, propranolol. Why would beta blockers help Edna with her palpitations and with her tachycardia? Well, they work by blocking the beta adrenergic receptor. Beta adrenergic receptors are those that respond to adrenaline. Adrenergic, adrenaline. Adrenaline is also known as epinephrine, which as you know, is also known as the stress hormone. So these receptors sit on the surface of many cells and when your levels of stress hormone increases, it makes the heart beat faster and stronger, which then increases your blood pressure. So by blocking these receptors, beta blockers slow down your heart rate as well as the contractions of your heart muscle. There are newer versions of beta blockers that also make the blood vessels relax, but in general, I think of beta blockers as impacting the heart. So that's why they're a great choice for somebody with tachycardia and palpitations, because they slow the heart rate and they slow the force of contractions. I think of these as the LOL medications because they help your heart relax. So the LOL medications are propranolol, carvedilol, metoprolol, 
That's why somebody with hyperthyroidism, something like carvedilol would be a great choice. Another potential board question that I could see them asking would be, in what situation would you not use beta blockers? Well, if you think about when this would be harmful, you should avoid them in asthma because beta blockers might relax the bronchioles, which would decrease airflow in somebody who's already struggling with airflow and asthma. And because they slow heart rate, some sources also recommend avoidance and depression. For the next scenario, you have a 60-year-old male who recently experienced a myocardial infarction. What would be the best initial treatment for his hypertension? Would it be carvedilol? Would it be nifedipine or clonidine? or hydralazine. Of these options, the best initial treatment would be a beta blocker. So you would go with one of the LOL medications. So we'll go with carvedilol. Why would you use a beta blocker in somebody who had a recent MI? Well, studies have shown that beta blockers are life prolonging for survivors of myocardial infarction, as well as those with angina and heart failure. And studies have shown that they help prevent stroke and other cardiovascular issues in this population. So they're a great initial choice here. However, I wanna point out that they're not in general a great initial choice for somebody with hypertension because they've not been shown to be as helpful in preventing stroke in otherwise healthy people. So that's why you're not going to pick them if you see you know, a patient with just your standard risk factors for hypertension. Other options for somebody with a recent MI would be the ACE inhibitor or the PRIL family or the angiotensin receptor blockers, or the ARTAN family. So somebody with a recent myocardial infarction, think of the LOLs, the PRILs, or the ARTANs. In the final scenario, you have a patient who is pregnant, and you're trying to choose between several antihypertensive agents. For this patient who is pregnant, would you prescribe carvedilol, or lisinopril, or valsartan or hydralazine? Well, this is a scenario where your first choice is again going to be a beta blocker. So you would go with carvedilol, one of the LOLs. And it's interesting because in general, when in doubt about what antihypertensive to use, you could go with your nice neighbors, the prills and the artans. And that's because your ACE inhibitors and your angiotensin receptor blockers are good for multiple indications. So they're just a good first choice antihypertensive. They're a great choice for somebody with diabetes. They're a great choice for somebody with proteinuria. But there are a couple really bad things about these two neighbors, and one of them is that they can cause fetal harm. So you would never want to go with those two categories in a patient who's pregnant. Other bad things about the ACE inhibitors, well, they've been associated very commonly with dry cough as a side effect and also with angioedema. And it's interesting, the way I think about it is because they're uh, they're kind of messing with your hormone systems. And so because they're interfering with those hormone systems, they've been shown to increase bradykinin levels, which is an inflammatory mediator, which is uh, hypothesized to be the reason that they've been associated with a dry cough and angioedema. 
The ARTANs are not as commonly associated with those side effects, even though those have been reported. But regardless, both groups should not be used in pregnancy. So what can you use in pregnancy? Beta blockers would be your first choice. You could also use a calcium channel blocker such as nifedipine. And in the next episode, we're gonna run over a few more scenarios so that you can become comfortable with medications such as nifedipine, clonidine, and hydralazine, which have different mechanisms of action. So we'll just finish off by doing a quick summary of our eight different scenarios. You have your patient who has hypertension and osteoporosis. What's your best choice? Well, here you're going to go with a thiazide diuretic such as hydrochlorothiazide because it increases renal tubular reabsorption of calcium. What if you had a patient with diabetes? Well, one good choice would be an ACE inhibitor, which would be the PRIL family. What if you had a patient with proteinuria? Well, you could go with your neighbors, the ARTAN family, which would be ACE receptor blockers. And remember that angiotensin II is your villain, so you can either go with an ACE inhibitor or an angiotensin receptor blocker to block the effects of angiotensin II. What would be your best initial therapy in a 50-year-old patient, let's say, who had no comorbidities? Well, your best initial therapy is always going to be lifestyle modification, and you're going to try to aim for at least two or more changes. But next scenario, let's say your patient come back after three to six months of making these lifestyle changes and his hypertension has not responded. Well, in this case, your best initial medication, one option would be a thiazide diuretic if you don't have any other compelling indications for other choices. Other good options would be your ACE inhibitors, your angiotensin receptor blockers, or calcium channel blockers. In the next scenario, let's say you have a patient with hyperthyroidism and she's experiencing tachycardia and palpitations. Well, here you're gonna use a beta blocker because you're going to decrease the rate of heart contractions and the force of heart contractions. In the next scenario, your patient's had a recent myocardial infarction. Well, for the same reasons, a beta blocker would be an excellent choice. And for beta blockers, I think of them as the LOL family because they help to relax your heart. Other choices would be your PRIL family or your ARTAN family. So that would be your ACE inhibitors or your angiotensin receptor blockers. In the final scenario, you have a patient who's pregnant. A great initial choice here would be a beta blocker, so LOL, fine for pregnancy. Another choice would be your calcium channel blockers. But remember, you absolutely do not want an ACE inhibitor or an angiotensin receptor blocker because I kind of think of it as they mess with your hormones, so you don't want to use them here. In general, however, you know, if you're in doubt, I think you could go with your nice neighbors, your prills and your artans, but not in pregnancy. So coming up in the next episode, we'll go over a few other categories of antihypertensives.